We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. You can't control what's outside your home, but you can control what comes in. Because Clorox disinfecting wipes kill 99.9% of viruses and bacteria, including COVID-19 virus, when used as directed on hard, non-porous surfaces. So whether it's from dirty doorknobs, dirty shoes, or something else, outside germs won't stand a chance. When it counts, trust Clorox. Kill Pseudomonas, Salmonella, and Influenza virus type A2. Kill SARS-CoV-2 on hard, non-porous surfaces. Use as directed. Crossing route, Gurley makes the catch 20. First down, he hurdles. Far side of the field, stays on his feet. Inside the 10, Todd Gurley making his case for MVP. Wait, he throws back shoulder. Higby reaches out and makes an incredible catch for a first down. Off his back foot, he throws to the end zone. Cooper Cup leaping to make the catch. Out of bounds, he has it for six. He's got a knee-high snap, looking left. Now over the middle. He pump fakes. He rolls to his right with Connor Barwin pursuing. He knocks him down. The ball is thrown up in the air and batted away. Incomplete. The Rams' defense clinches it. Goff will come on the field for victory formation. The Rams' sideline across the field from us erupts in celebration. And so the playoffs are coming back to L.A. This January at the Coliseum. We, not me, versus the NFC. And for the first time since 2003, the Rams are NFC West champions. Welcome to Rams Talk Radio. This is managing editor Derek C. Apollo with the man, the myth, the legend, coming to you for a huge post-game show. The Rams win tonight, 33-31. Oh, boy, Norm. How are you? I'm shot, man. All the emotions, all the yelling and screaming at the TV, you know, all the ups and downs. I, I'm, I'm, I'm ready for bed. <laughs> I think we both are. We're, this is the sign we're getting old, but we we can't help but put out a great show for you guys tonight because 
I think there's a lot to talk about, a lot more we've had to talk about for a while, just because of everything we saw in this game, all the ups and downs, all the problems, some things the Rams need to go back and fix, hopefully quickly. So here we go, folks. Just a reminder, we're now on Spotify and TuneIn. So, hey, that means we're on iTunes, Spreaker, so everywhere, SoundCloud, iHeartRadio. Check us out. Also, don't forget we're on iebeatradio.com. They are our shows on Wednesdays, Saturdays, and Sundays. Oh, folks, and one more time, iTunes. We're, we are sitting right now on 83 five-star reviews. 83. Help me, please. I feel like I'm in this SBCA commercial. With the, you know what I'm talking about? Normally, <laughs> I sort of well, feel you like definitely right now, need, help you need help anyways. But. <laughs> so, look, folks, we're giving away a 75 hour gift to get over to NFLShow.com. I've upped it from 50. I'm trying to get this done. Lord, help us, please. 17 more, and um, we'll get this taken care of. Uh, it's I swear this has been going on longer than the Browns playoff drought. That's what I said last time out. So, getting underway. Well, Norm, what are your initial thoughts? We're repeating last week the Rams won a close one. It's a costly one, though. Well, it's costly, but it's not costly like it was last week in the sense that it looks like we have two players out with concussions that will probably be okay for next week, although Cooks took a pretty hard shot. So I, I don't think it's as costly as that. And I'm there's a part of me that's kind of glad that they struggled tonight because I'm hoping it will wake them up and say, you know what, we're good and we've got a chance to go all the way, but – we still have a lot to work on and we better get busy. So that's kind of what I'm hoping for. There was a lot of, uh, a lot of good and bad tonight. You know, I'll start with the good. The, the good was we scored on just about every possession. When cooks and cup went out, Hodge and, uh, what's his name? <laughs> Reynolds. Reynolds. Oh boy, oh boy, Reynolds. <laughs> Yeah, Hodge and Reynolds came in, and the offense really didn't slow down much. So that's that's a good sign, you know, that not only do we have depth there, but it appears that McVeigh's play calling is really, you know, doing what it's supposed to do. So all in all, I'd say, you know, offensively we looked pretty good. Defensively, we have a ton to work on, and there's a lot to go over on that. So I won't go into it too much, but. You know, we when we talked to Corbin in the pregame deal, he picked it to win by a field goal with the last seconds of the game. And I'm thinking, all right, if the Rams score a touchdown on this last drive, then a field goal is not going to win it. So at least I don't have to eat crow with Corbin. And then they kick a field goal and go up by two. And I'm like, oh, no, <laughs> we, 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 we can't have this. And then they stopped them. And I'm thinking, all right, we got a shot here. But I looked at Susan and I said, they need to continue to run their offense the way they always run it, not go into some stall, run the clock. out. Just run it like they always do. Go score a touchdown. But don't just think you have to run the football three times and not get a first down and have to punt the football. Well, we got a bad spot from the officials, and I went back and looked at it several times on the DVR and in slow motion and still frame. It was a first down, totally. So that was a bad call, among others. And then... When uh, when Seattle called timeout, I was like, ooh, that might be a mistake because and, – and I'm just going to say it. If McVay has any balls, he's going to send the offense back out and he's going to do a quarterback sneak with Jared Goff to win the game because right now the way our defense is playing, our offense is our best defense. And then the timeout's over. I see Goff strapping up his helmet. I looked at my girlfriend and said, 
Ooh, maybe he does have a big set. <laughs> and then and then Goff runs the football and I go, he's got balls like basketballs, man. Way to go. <laughs> and then and then Derek texts me and says the same thing. It was funnier than heck, but it was an emotional back and forth. I'm glad we're having this conversation and not the other one that we could have been having. So all in all, I'll take the win. It's in Seattle, which is always a tough place to win in unless you blow them out like we did last time. So overall, I'm good with it, but we have a lot to work on. I look at it like this. Well, one, I got to go back and say I was in the same place. I was like, screw it. Go for it. Go for it on fourth down. At that point, I felt like this is Russell Wilson. This guy always gets in the fourth quarter. He always finds a way. Don't give him that shot. It's one of those rare times where football knowledge versus – a gut feeling gets in the way. Knowledge-wise, you punt that ball. A gut feeling says you go for it here. Don't give him a shot. Don't give him a shot. And, man, I put it on. If you if you all get a chance, look at, look, look at what I put on Twitter for that one because um, I meant every word I said there or every image I put up there. So, uh, balls, of, balls of steel. Testicular fortitude. We can call it that. <laughs> Testicular fortitude, indeed. Okay, so before we really get into this game knee-deep, get all the stats and all the issues we saw, and there's a lot. There are a lot of things to talk about. We're going to ask you to take a look at, if you haven't read it, Jim Hawk's book, Hollywood's Teen Grit Glamour in the 1950s Los Angeles Rams. The book tells the story of the 1950s Rams from the, from the lens of Jim's dad, John. He was an offensive lineman for the team in 1953 to 1957, you can check out the son's story of his father and the team he played for in an era of glitz, glamour, and future Hall of Famers. Read about players like Norm Van Brocklin, Crazy Legs Hirsch, Tom Fears, Les Richter, all these wonderful players during this story spanning the 1950s Los Angeles Rams. You can find Hawk's book online at hollywoodsteam.com and on Twitter at hollywoodsteam. It's available in both hardback and electronic form at Amazon and Barnes & Noble. Folks, check it out. It's a great read. It's affordable. Again, it's Hollywood's Teen Grit Glamour in the 1950s Los Angeles Rams by Jim Hawk. It's worth your time. And one more thing about that. If you've read it, please head on over to I, not iTunes but Amazon and give the man a good review. He earned it. It's a good book. All right, Norm, you ready? You bet. All right, we have the stats. Here we go. <clears throat> I'll do team stats first. Uh, Rams had 31st downs. Seahawks had 20. Rams ran 63 total plays, Seahawks 55. Total yards, Rams had 468, Seahawks had 373. Um, passing yards, Rams 313, Seahawks 183. Rushing yards, which is a horrible stat for the Rams on the Seahawks side, but 155 for the Rams, 190 for the Seahawks. Penalties. Uh, Rams 7 for 45, Seahawks 7 for 50, Rams had two turnovers, and time of possession was within a minute, 29-30 for the Rams, 30-30 for the Seahawks. As far as individual stats go, Jared Goff went 23 for 32 for 321 and a touchdown, two interceptions, one of them on a Hail Mary, one of them on a bad pass interference, not called interception. Todd Gurley had 22 carries for 77 yards and three touchdowns. Robert Woods had two carries for 53 yards. Jared Goff had five for 15. Josh Reynolds had one for 10. Receiving, 
Robert Woods had five for 92. Cooper Cup had six for 90 and a touchdown. Josh Reynolds, two for 39. Todd Gurley, four for 36 yards. Tyler Higby, two for 26. Gerald Everett, three for 24. And Kaderil Hodge got his first NFL catch with one for 14 yards. Goff uh, fumbled twice. And uh, both times it was recovered by us. And uh, let's see here. What do we got? Sacks. Sue and Donald both had a sack. Mark Barron led the team in tackles with uh, five tackles, four assists. So it's good to have Mark Barron back, and he was hitting hard. And Santos went two for two for field goals, but missed an extra point, which darn near cost us the game. And that's about all I got. What were uh, what were Corey Littleton's numbers by chance? Three tackles, four assists. Because he was all over the place. Yeah, he, he was. was. So, all right. So there's your numbers. Rams win 33-31. I, I guess the first thing I want to get to here is, well, you, we, I had McVay on the list. We already covered McVay. One thing I'd like to say, balls of steel. Balls of well, steel. Well, I, I do want to say, though, that when you've got the ball first down and goal on the two-yard line, why are you throwing the football? I mean, why? You got Todd Gurley. Run it four times if you have to. You're going to score. The The defense the defense for the Seahawks isn't that great. Uh, you know, obviously, we did it the next series we went down. So our, our question is play calling a little bit in the red zone, and we've been struggling there a little bit. So that would be one complaint I would have about McVay. Uh, would be in the red zone. But other than that, I love the way he calls a football game. And like you said, testicular fortitude. <laughs> well, I guess I guess the complaint you could have, not just in the red zone, but overall, McVay tends to fall in love with the pass too much. And he'll just go first down, second down, third down, throw the ball, throw the ball, throw the ball. And then all of a sudden he'll come back to the run. He gets a little bit too happy with it. I think he did this in the first half a bit. And you're thinking, just man, just run the ball. Just run the ball. And then you're wishing later on, like getting that third quarter when the Seahawks were really putting pressure on, it would have been nice for Todd Gurley to have just a drive where they just ran the ball down Seattle's throat. It would have been nice to get that defense a rest, get some time on the bench to really kind of look at some pictures there, see what's going on, to try and stop that Seattle run game. And the reality is, that didn't happen. It would have been nice to see that happen. Every once in a while, McVay gets too pass happy. But you know what? They've scored 30 points in every game this season at least. So I can't complain too much. It's just a, it's just a mild nitpick. A mild nitpick. Not even a real serious nitpick for now. But I'd like to see him get a little more... I said, Would the word be cognizant of of how much you're throwing, especially in those moments where you need a running back, your running game going. I'd like to see him run the football more. Yes. But when you're scoring 30 plus points a game, you really can't question him. However, I think we'd have been scoring 40 points a game if, you know, he hadn't made some red zone calls that he made. And so that's why I have that complaint. But overall, I mean, <laughs> we're five and zero. We won a close one tonight, but we're, I mean, offensively, we're a juggernaut. The only team that even compares to us out there is the Kansas City Chiefs as far as offense goes. So 
really you can't complain too much, but our defense definitely has a lot of work to do. And, you know, I'm going to make some comments on that when we start talking about it, but uh, there's definitely a lot of work to do there. Well, I mean, again, it's a win. 33-31. I don't, I, please, re- listeners, don't think we're hammering McVeigh too much. I mean, I love this guy as our head coach. He's an amazing coach, and I love that he takes risks and goes for it. You just want to see, yeah, you want to see just more, a little more balance. That's all. And you mentioned the red zone thing. Where you mentioned we're going to talk a little more about Pones later on, but that pass interference slash bad call because it was both, right? It was a bad call to throw at that moment, but it was also a pass interference that they didn't call. Am I right? Absolutely. Okay, so. You know, why even do that? Why even put yourself in business and do that? Just send Gurley to do what he does because he will find a way in the end zone. He was in the was it three times this game? Was it three times? Yes, three times. So he'll find a way. I, I, this game may have been a completely different game had the Rams get out there and, and score on that thing. Sure, first first drive down the field, score a touchdown, put him in the hole right off the bat. You, you don't know what that does to a team. So that could have made a big difference. Um, one more thing I wanted to ask about, too, because we both really loved the move the Rams made for this guy. Marcus Peters got burned and burned hard today. And, you know, there's some thoughts of the injury. Is it just him having a bad game? What did you see from him? Well, the one play where he got burned really bad, we had two safeties back and neither safety was back to help. And they weren't rushing the passers. So I want to think that he felt like he had safety help on that one. But I can also tell you that he's lost a step right now due to his injury and he's not 100%. I think, honestly, Troy Hill played better than he did tonight overall. If you if you really watch it, Troy Hill did really well tonight, which I was happy to see. But I think it's a little bit of both. I think it's the injury to Peters. I don't think he's 100% yet. And I think he tries to do too much. And when you had to keep Tlaib out there, you could get away with that. But you can't really get away with that in the position we're in now. Another thing I'm going to point out, I pointed this out in the postgame last time, and you were just kind of blew me off on it. But this time, I don't think you can. There was another time where I saw Joyner and Johnson going at it, and they weren't they weren't just talking. They were yelling at each other and wailing arms and pointing. Something's going on right now in our secondary with our safeties. I don't know if one person's trying to do one thing and another's trying to do another and they're not on the same page and they can't agree or whatever it is. But Joyner and Johnson seem to have an issue that they need to get figured out. I didn't see that tonight, but I, of course, I, I believe you. It's not that, <laughs> I'm going back and forth between the game and, and social media, so you're probably seeing a little more than I'm seeing. The, but to me, the, the greater evidence of that would be the fact like, the safety's in the box when they shouldn't really have been in the box. You're either there to rush or you're not. What were you doing right. there? Well, the was third that a quarter touchdown. Yeah, the third quarter, it was the third quarter touchdown play to uh, uh, the guy right in the corner of the front of the end zone. And it's not the one where, we, where he went out of bounds and came back in, it's the other one where he caught it just inside the goal line. Yeah. It was. It was right before that touchdown pass. So if you have a DVR, go back and look at it. They're arguing back there. You can see them arguing. And I'm like, uh-oh, this doesn't bode well. And then, boom, touchdown. And neither one of them was there to make, you know, to help on that play. And, you know, when you're, when you're running two deep safeties, nobody's supposed to get behind you on the field. 
And they weren't in the box. They weren't rushing. So why did that guy get so far behind Peters and nobody was there? So there's an issue there that needs to be fixed. And I can see it. I've coached enough defense that I can tell that there's a problem there. All right. So there's a couple things that are Peters. I wonder what you do. You mentioned Troy Hill. Troy Hill had an awful penalty tonight. Um, but besides that, after that, he this is what maddens me about Troy Hill. Troy Hill will do dumb things. He will do dumb things that that you know. Let's go ahead and do a WWE suplex on somebody, get penalized for that, and then he'll go out and have a nice game, and you won't hear anything bad about him or see, see him do anything wrong the rest of the night. He's so maddening in terms of how he plays the game. Sometimes he, it's confusing, seriously confusing. Enlighten me, Mister Oregon. Well, well, you, you you had you had that all night though. Robbie Coleman did the same thing. Peters did the same thing. I mean, that wasn't a stupid tackle, but. And I'll say that halfway through that that suplex, he realized what he was doing and tried to like let go and not do it as hard, and still was too late. So I mean, they all they all had issues tonight. Everybody in the secondary, and as far as our our defensive line goes, you know, having Sue and Donald and Brockers there is a great thing. They're they're all outstanding players, but I often wonder that you know they're all kind of. I mean, Brockers is more the run stopper than the other two. The other two are more of your higher echelon players. And I often wonder if it's, if it's because, you know, are they getting lucky when they make a tackle on a run play because they're, they happen to run into them while they're trying to rush a passer. It just seems to me like we should be stopping the run with the players we have a lot better than we are. And with Baron back in there tonight and he was playing well and hitting hard. I can't, I can't see why Seattle was able to get that many yards on us on the ground. And you know, is it their fault? Is it, Wade Phillips not putting them in the right position. I mean, I don't know. I don't know the answer to that without really breaking down the game film. But there's no reason that a team like Seattle should get that many rushing yards on us. That might be something to do this week, honestly. Try and figure that out and go look back at the game film. I, I can tell you this. I At the holes that were made, it just seemed like at the line of scrimmage, the Seattle offensive line just got the right kind of push. And I'm wondering in the back of my mind, are Brockers, Sue, Donald, are they more suited for a full 4-3 than this kind of modified 4-3-3-4 that Phillips runs? But, you know, it also could have just been, but it really honestly could have been, because Seattle could have had a great game. We go back and look at the film here. This is Immediate Reaction Podcast. And they, they played a great game. It could be the fact that, you know, Seattle just wore down the Rams' defense a little bit. Or it could have been other things like um, some missed penalty calls, which I think we'll talk about here in a little bit. I don't know what the answer is. And it's amazing you mentioned Corbin. Corbin told us some of the best podcasts he's has is doing some film breakdown. And I, I think that might be a hint, Norm, to start doing some film breakdown podcasts because... Um, I'm really interested myself in what you see. Just yeah, I'm I'm going to break down the coaches' film uh, over the next couple of days and take a look. But what what I'm seeing is you've got you know offhand right now is you've got you know Littleton and and Barron playing middle linebacker, and then you've got uh, Longacre and Ibukam on the outside that are primarily rushing the passer all the time. I mean, they dropped into coverage a few times, but their primary job is to rush a passer. And then you've got Donald and Sue 
rushing the passer all the time. That's their primary concern. And Brocker's trying to stop the run. And it just seems to me like as much as I'd hate to say maybe we need to rein back the pass rush a little bit to stop the run, that might be what we need to do. But breaking down the film will tell me that. So I'm gonna I'll take the time and, and break it down and we can talk about it in our next podcast. All right, so folks, here we go. Norm, take it away. Give a shout out to our sponsor, Golden Ram Barbershop. Now it's time to give a shout out to our longtime sponsor, the Golden Ram Barbershop. If you're looking to support one of your own in the Orange County area and like that old school barbershop experience, check out the Golden Ram Barbershop at 13755 Golden West Street in Westminster, California. Sal Martinez opened up his shop as a shrine to the Rams on the day that they left for St. Louis and has kept the lights on ever since. He's by appointment only, so give him a call at 714-894-RAMS or 714-894-7267. Use the promo code RAMSTALK so he knows that we sent you to get a discount on an already affordable haircut. The Golden Ram Barbershop is open Monday through Friday from 8 a.m. to 6 p.m. and Saturdays from 7 a.m. to 4 p.m. One more time, give Sal a call at 714-894-7267. A visit to his shop is worth it just to enjoy all the Rams memorabilia there. It's it's like a shrine to the Rams, like a Hall of Fame to the Rams in a barbershop. But Sal also provides that really nice old-school barbershop experience talking Rams football and more. Trust me, folks, you won't regret it. Sal even managed to make me, Derek, and Johnny look good and appear, well, somewhat normal. All right, so again, thanks out to the Gold Ram Barbershop. Some news for us today. Well, Cooper Cup goes into concussion protocol, uh, out for the rest of the game today. Earlier, a scary hit on Brandon Cooks puts him out. It looked to me, tell me if I'm wrong, but it looked to me like it knocked him out cold. Saw his oh, it arms. did. Yeah, his arms yeah, stiffened up, his legs stiffened up. Uh, so that's should have been a penalty, which we're, we're getting to. <laughs> it was one of those games where eh, you pay the price for a win. Let's let's be honest with that you pay a price. You pay this price. The price the Rams paid today are Cup and Cooks. His con- Cup's concussion doesn't look like it's going to be all that serious. Cooks might be out for a couple weeks. He might be out for a couple weeks. So that's yeah, possible. Um, it's that's. You know, that's scary to look at. I'm unhappy with the way this game was called. We've already mentioned a couple of penalties, things, so let's kind of introduce this a little bit. It was a rough night for the officials. A rough night. So much so that our podcasting uh, competitors slash somewhat friendly people, DTR and Turf Show, were arguing about penalties on on social media during the thing uh turf show called out dtr and becomes this whole big major thing i guess the reality is the, the let me rephrase it this way the argument being made by one side was this is garbage these calls are going against the rams blah 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 the other side saying you know that it's always that it's always being that the other side saying can't get the words out man they're calling bias, basically. So we don't do that here, but we will call it bad officiating. And I would be the first one to say the Rams have gotten the benefit of calls from time to time. But over the course of many years, it's definitely seemed like the Rams have gotten the short stick. Tonight was one of those nights where they got the short stick. And for various reasons, the 
the call, the no call on Cooks. The I, I swear, do you remember this? Do you remember the storm where there was should have been a, right towards the end of the game? There was a holding call against Seattle, but two plays before that, they showed the replay, and you can literally see Donald being held up by his shoulders and the opposing offensive lineman with his hand in Donald's face, pushing back his head. Remember that? Yep. And there was also a play where uh, Sue was being held and was driven to the ground, which is almost always a penalty during a pass play. I mean, when you take an off- when an offensive lineman takes a defensive player to the ground, it's almost always a hold. And it was blatant and it wasn't called. Uh, there was a, uh, a block in the back on a Seattle punt return missed. I, there was just so many. And again, I know the idea here is I call it Rams derangement syndrome. Sometimes we have that and we just see everything. The Rams are the ones being victimized. This is one of those games where I honestly look at it and go, the officials screwed the Rams a bit. And it's the same I saw the Browns there. The Browns got screwed over today. Luckily, the Browns pulled it out for them. But I just am wondering what the heck is going on sometimes with the officiating in this league where it can be so unbalanced. And that's what we saw in this game. You know, I don't know that it was unbalanced as far as, like you said, I'm I'm not on the other side. I don't see all the penalties that the Rams are doing because I'm not paying attention to that like I am, you know, when I'm seeing it on the Rams. However, the penalties, the no calls, and the calls that were made on the Rams tonight were at crucial times during the game. And you don't want to say, you know, maybe it's because of a home field thing, but it kind of felt like that. If Gurley gets the pass interference call on that touchdown, should have been touchdown play on our first drive, that could have changed the whole tone of the game. That could have, you know, we're up by seven. Seattle's like, oh, crap, here they come. Who knows what they would have done on offense going down the field. So that was a crucial moment. The Brandon Cooks hit, as much as, you know, that's always been a good hit in the NFL. But when I rewound it and watched it over and over, it was helmet-to-helmet contact. And if you're going to have that rule and you're going to call it all the time, this is the, this would have been the time to call it when a guy gets knocked out cold from helmet to helmet contact and a fumbles caused. And honestly, if you go by the rules, that should have been a penalty and he should have been ejected. So, you know, again, it's, it's one of those, you know, how do the officials feel about it kind of things. But tonight it just seemed like all those calls and non calls were at crucial points of the game. I'd really be throwing a stink about it if the Rams had lost. But well, well, because... sorry, I didn't mean I was. I thought you were you were ending there. Um, no, that's so, okay. Uh, I is here's a look at that rule. The rule uh, states this: the NFL uh, states the players can't lower the helmet to initiate contact or lead with their helmet against any opponent. Penalties can range from a 15 yard penalty to a fine or ejection. Okay. How was that not clear? It was really clear when you do it in slow motion. It was clear to me in normal game action, in normal motion. How do you miss that? It was devastatingly clear. And I I don't see how that doesn't get called. And I I know somebody said that, someone on social media said that, well, Cooks lowered his head. It doesn't matter if he lowered his head or not. If I see someone coming at me head first and I have it, I'm going to lower myself too to try and avoid to brace for the hit. If he, what well, happens if he, he, 
he didn't have a chance. I mean, when you watch it like I did in slow motion, he literally caught the ball, started to turn his head, took two steps, and as soon as his head came around to facing forward, the hit was created. Brandon Cooks is only like five seven. <laughs> it's it's not like he ducked very far if he did duck at all. It didn't look like he tried to lower his head at all. Yeah, but it doesn't so, even matter, Norm. It doesn't matter because I know, according to the I, rule, I, you he used his head, his helmet, to initiate the contact. He led I, with the I realize helmet. that. I realize that. And I'm not arguing that point with you. I'm just yeah. saying there was no way Cooks lowered his helmet. And then when you look at the play in slow motion, the first thing you see come into the screen is the guy's helmet. I mean, he's leading with his helmet. And I don't think he intentionally tried to hurt Cooks. I think he was trying to make a hard hit and, you know, all that. But if you're going to follow the rule on that, and it's been called so many times, I think now with all the complaints, the officials are even getting a little gun shy about it. But that was a crucial moment in the game. Fortunately, they had another penalty and we got to keep the ball, but that could have really changed the tone of the game had they got that fumble and, and there was no penalty. You know, and there's a lot about the game that bothers me in terms of penalty calls. It really, the hits on quarterbacks being, you know, sometimes really weak bothers me. But the one thing I'm actually okay with is the leading of the helmet, leading with the head to helmet. Because I, I, I'm, do you remember this hit? Do you remember the Desperate hit? Yeah. Okay. And that's based on two teammates collided and Dennis Bird is paralyzed the rest of his life. That was helmet to helmet. That was, and his neck basically collapsed in. As much as I love this game, I don't want that to happen to anybody. And I'm complaining about this hit on Cooks because I don't want that to happen to Cooks. But you know what? If I'm honest, I don't want it to happen to Seattle player either. There right. is a, no, yeah, you know, we're not being biased like that. It's just that was a crucial moment of the game. And, you know, the severity of the hit knocking him out is what made me really stop and look at it and go, okay, rewind. Let's take a look at this in slow motion. And it was completely helmet to helmet. You saw his neck totally get bent sideways. And it was scary. The fact that he got up and jogged off the field was, was a great moment because I was really worried for him. Yeah, so was I. You know, and it's it's not a question of if, it's a question of when the next time we'll have a player get paralyzed in the field. It's going to happen. And the idea here that the league's trying to do is minimize that. The game's a violent game. We all understand that. The players themselves choose to accept that risk. And there is... Some adjusting adjustment that need to be made to the rule itself, I believe, because you can't make this into a pansy game. But you still need to try and protect the players. And in that case, Cooks wasn't protected. And quite frankly, the Seattle player himself wasn't protected. So Well, and then there was that Minnesota play or in Minnesota, excuse me. I'm still thinking of last week. Uh, there was the Seahawks play where there were two receivers went out of bounds in the back of the end zone. I 360 viewed that, and he was totally out of bounds, and I could see it, and I don't know why they didn't reverse that call. It was blatant to me on film that it was he was out of bounds, and so that shouldn't have been a touchdown. That Well, that bothers me because they actually went back and reviewed it. I know. That's what I'm how saying. Do you, I don't know how they could have missed that. <laughs> how do you miss? So this was, to me, just a really poorly officiated game all around, and, you know, I don't – as I, I – I love the Rams are five and zero. I 
I don't ever want there to be a game where if the Rams win or lose and you want it in the back of your mind as you as you move on from the game that the officiators the officiating blah, blah, the official <laughs> help the me out man. officials the officials, the officials. <laughs> marble mouth strikes again um, <laughs> will they affect the game you don't want that you don't ever want a performance marred by that you, you don't want that and man it felt like that's how it went down but here's the crazy part didn't both teams get penalized seven times this game yeah, it was it was called evenly as far as amount of penalties go. And I you know, there was one play that I saw that was at a crucial point for Seattle that a play that a flag wasn't thrown, and that was Sue's sack on on Russell Wilson. He actually had the face mask at the beginning of it, but he did let go of it. But it would still should have been a face mask call, and that would have again extended their drive late in the game. So, you know, it's not like it was all against the Rams. There were moments that I saw against Seattle, too. I just don't watch it as hard as I do against the Rams. So being fair about it, I think the officials missed a lot on both sides of the ball. But it just seemed like most of the time for us, it was during crucial moments. There were a few crucial moments for Seattle. But I don't want to, I don't want to you know, sit here and bash the officials. We won. We played. We we. <laughs> We overcame adversity. You know, we, we we did what we had to do at the end of the game to win it. And in that sense, I'm happy to see what the team did. I'm, I was really happy to see, you know, with two two of our offensive weapons going down, that a couple guys could come in and fill in that role. And, you know, all in all, I think this is a good wake-up call for the Rams to say, you know, I mean, Todd Gurley was going off on, on all, you know, Twitter and and all these shows saying we can't be beat. Well, I think tonight showed we can be beat if we don't play right. And I think they needed that wake up call a little bit. Yeah, especially defensively. There's there is some work to do there. And and you know, next week they have Case Keenum, who his team took it on the chin to the Jets today, but they'll be home. It'll be a third straight road game for the Rams. Case Keenum knows the Rams very well. The Rams know him very well. You can't say this is a guaranteed win anymore for the Rams. You know, going to Denver is hard. It's like going to Seattle is hard. And with the Rams having several injuries now, more than they had at any point last year, it's not a given the Rams go to Denver and win. So hopefully they can get some things figured out. Um, yeah. Offense overall, Norm. Offensively, how did you feel about the, how the team did? Getting away from the defense, getting away from the officials. Uh, you know, only complaint I have is that we use our t- timeouts too much for the play calls not getting in on time or for them running the clock too long. I mean, we might have needed those timeouts at the end of the game. Fortunately, it worked out that we didn't. So I still feel like we've got some room to grow there. But overall, um, the offensive line didn't have a great night. There was way too much pressure on Goff compared to what there has been. And that's not Seattle's starting group. There's a lot of guys off their off their starters right now with injuries. So you know, tonight I'm just going to say the offensive line didn't have as good a night as they normally do. But overall, I mean, when you put 30, you know, 33 points on the board, I guess you can't complain. Um, you know, over 300 yards passing again for Goff. Uh, Gurley had three touchdowns, even though he didn't get 100 yards. So, you know, I, I, you really can't complain too much when you're seeing those kind of numbers. But when you're feeling as good as we are right now and seeing how they've played, you know, in the past four weeks – yeah, they weren't on tonight. And then losing two of their starters didn't help. On the flip side of that, though, I thought the offense played pretty stinking well. I really think it did. 
the, the Seattle couldn't stop them for most of the game. Did Hecker, did Hecker punt like once? Was it once or twice? Uh, once, was, I think. That's it. So, I mean, I mean, I can't complain too much about the offense when when Cup went out and Cooks went out. Josh Reynolds steps in. Peter Hodge steps in. They both made some really nice plays. That's a big deal to me that we were able to see other players get involved when needed. Higby. There you go. Made a couple, made a couple of nice plays. Oh, oh, hey, Gerald Everett. Hello. We've been waiting for the tight ends to get more involved. So to me, I, as much as it stunk seeing Cup go out, and it really stuck, stunk seeing what happened to Cooks, it was nice to see these players step up and contribute. We know they're capable, and that'll be really important come Denver here in, a couple, in next week. Sure. No, I mean, like I said, you can't really complain when you put up 33 points and you have over, you know, almost 400 total yards or whatever it was I said. So, you know, you really can't criticize too much. You can start getting a lot nitpickier um, when a team has been so dominant on offense. Sure, you can pick it apart a little bit, but they had 468 total yards. I mean, you can't really say too much. And for all the garbage, the Rams still give up 370. It could have been a lot worse, honestly. Yeah, could have been a lot have. worse. Um, real quick here, your stars of the game? <sighs> Boy, this is that would be a tough one. You know, on offense, I'm going to have to give it to Gurley just because he got three touchdowns and he had some hard running to do, and they were obviously keying off of him. And he, he, you could see him on, I guess the biggest thing is you could see him on the sidelines saying, you know, to the defense, it's okay, we got this. And so for his confidence and for his three touchdowns, I'll give him for offense. And for defense, I'm going to go with Mark Barron. You know, first game back, led the team in tackles, had a couple hard hits and looked really good out there. So, you know, I, I'm, I'm glad to see Mark back and we can sure use him. Okay, for me, offensively, I'm going Robert Woods. Robert Woods, uh, two carries, 56 yards, sorry, three yards. And, uh, you know, five catches, 92 yards, long of 31. When Cup and Cooks went down, he was the guy the Rams turned to as, like, the stabilizer in the passing game. And that's what he was that whole second half. So I'm going Robert Woods. On defense... Oh man, that's so hard to talk about because it wasn't pretty tonight. But just due to their late game heroics, Ungo Sue and Donald, they really turned it on at the end. They got enough pressure in there to make a difference. And so there we go. There we go. Do you have a goat for the game besides the obvious? Yeah, the only obvious would be Marcus Peters. And I don't want to say that because I know that he's not 100%. So uh, I'm, I'm going to say nobody. Okay, for me, I don't want to go goat either. I think it's probably too negative for in this kind of context. I am worried about Peters. I'm worried about he hasn't looked right all year. Even before the injury, he didn't look right to me. So um, I'm looking to see maybe he's just getting used to the defense. We'll, we'll find out. We'll find out. All right, real quick before we end out here and get, get going, other scores across the league: the Arizona Cardinals, 28-18 winners over the 49ers. How about all those people who thought the 49ers were going to be a threat this year? We thought they might be a threat this year. Well, they did lose Garoppolo. so yeah. But they were struggling before that, too. Yeah. Um, your prediction, the Eagles, 
might just be right. The Vikings beat them 23-21. Good one out there. The um, <clears throat> San Diego, L.A., whatever they are, Chargers, 26-10 over the Raiders. By the way, uh, did you see StubHub Center? Uh-uh. It's packed to the gills of Raiders fans. Packed. Oh, really? <laughs> that, Carolina, that doesn't surprise me. Oh, my gosh. Carolina Panthers, 33-31 win, winners over the Giants. Uh, Graham Cano with a 63-yard field goal to win that game for the Panthers. Good Lord. That thing you know, went, the, it could go with, 70. With all, the, with all the kickers that have been struggling, including like Green Bay's kicker today, was it Crosby? Is that his name? Yeah, yeah. Oh, my God. He went like 0 for 4. <laughs> You know, but the kickers have been taking it rough lately. So for him to hit a sixty-three yarder to win it, I was I was happy for him. I I, I didn't want him to win, but I was happy to see him make that kick because kickers have been having it rough lately. I want to call this the Savior Season Bowl? Both the Falcons and the Steelers came in this game with just struggling, just struggling. The Steelers pound the Falcons, forty-one seventeen. Brutal game there defensively for the Falcons. The Jets. Break out the Jets, 34-16 winners over Denver. Here's one that surprised me a little bit. Not because they won, but because of the defensive performance. The Chiefs, 30. The Jaguars, 14. Uh, is it safe to say the Chiefs are a legitimate Super Bowl threat now? Yeah. Yeah, I'm... You know, I'm I'm having to eat a little crow because I thought Kansas City was going to struggle this year. But it uh, looks like right now, if you were to take a look at the way things are right now, it would be the Rams and the Chiefs in the Super Bowl, which wouldn't hurt my feelings a bit because it would be an awesome game. But uh, they're, they're legit for sure. And Atlanta's done. I mean, I think you can stick a fork in Atlanta now. That defense just, is just falling apart. And I, I look back at them losing to Ontario Poe in the middle, and I think it's where it starts, to be honest with you. Yeah. Um, Detroit Lions beat Green Bay. So at home this year, the Lions have beaten both the Packers and Aaron Rodgers and the New England Patriots and Tom Brady at home. Wow. That, those are their only two wins, by the way. Cincinnati, 4-1. and 4-1. and one. Down <laughs> 17 to nothing and come back and score, what, 27? 27-17 winners over Miami. Yes, yep. sir. Um, breakout for our friends over at Rockpile Report. Buffalo beats Tennessee 13-12. Your boy Marcus Mariota is struggling today, man. Yeah, Good he's gosh. been hurt. And uh, the Patriots beat the Colts on Thursday night, 38-24. Still coming up, just getting underway now. Um, matter of fact, Dallas leads Texans 6-0 as of this time. And the Saints play the Redskins tomorrow night. Oh, oh, I, I thought I missed this. You guys know I'm in Northeast Ohio. I keep a little bit of track of the Browns. They actually beat the Ravens today, twelve and nine. In actually, what was a fun game to watch? Believe it or yeah, not, I actually, twelve nine. I game. watched. I watched it. <laughs> it was a fun game. I can't. I've never seen a twelve nine game that was fun. That one was fun. That was a war out there today. So there you go. All right. I folks. was struggling hard because where I live now, I was kind of rooting for the Ravens, but I was also kind of rooting for Cleveland. So. Yeah, there was a point where, I don't know, I think the tide shifted, and I was like, all right, Cleveland, let's pull this out. (laughs) And they did, so I was happy to see it. Did you notice the stat from that game? This is the first time Uh the Browns have won a game on Sunday at home since 2015. Oh, yeah, well, I mean, they haven't won many games at all since 2015, so I really think think the stats are kind of skewed in that department. (laughs) All right, folks. Hey, we're looking for sponsors. Reach out to us, please, at ranstalk1945 at gmail.com. 
Leave us a voicemail at 657-666-5453. We've got three shows. We do the best we can to provide you content. I Nothing else I can say. Our number's doing great. So check us out. Our trivia question. Norm, can you believe nobody gave me the correct answer for this? So I'm going to keep this open to our next show. Who caught the game-winning pass in the only playoff game between the Rams and Seahawks in January 2005? The Rams won that game 27-20. Send me your answers to ramstalk1945 at gmail.com. I'm serious, Norm. Nobody has sent me the correct answer yet. Come on, folks. Get you a free book. All right. So don't forget to follow us on Twitter at TalkRams and on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash Rams Talk. You can also check out our group, which is actually kind of hopping some days. Rams Talk Room. You can find me on Twitter at DC Apollo and Norm at Norm Hightower. He might post on Twitter once a decade, but he's trying. He's trying. We're, we're kind of babying him through that. Don't forget to iTunes, Stitcher, all those places that five-star review I asked you about before. Let's make the magic happen there. Please help us out. Okay, Norm, any last thoughts? Yeah, I'm hoping I can watch next week's game because uh, I have a bass tournament next weekend and and uh, won't be home till late. So I'm hoping I can find a way to watch it so I can come back and do a quick podcast with you on the results. But we'll see. Excuses. Excuses. <laughs> this, this is football season, man. We'll miss it yeah. for a fishing tournament. Uh, fishing or hunting. Otherwise, I'm good. All right. So I'll be here. I don't know where he'll be. But I'll be here. Also, Michael Stewart will join us next week as well to break down that game. So at least he and I will have the show if you don't have it. I'm yeah, that's because you have no you have no life. But that's okay. I do. I do. It's ninety five percent Rams. But yes, I get it. <laughs> okay, for Norm Hightower, this is Derek C. Paul. Take it easy. Rams win thirty three thirty one. That is Adi- a wrap. Adios. This episode is sponsored by Schwann's.com. What are you having for dinner tonight? Hmm, good question. Schwann's Home Delivery has a solution for you. Stock up your freezer with high-quality frozen foods like premium meats and sides, delicious ready-made meals, ice cream, and more. No subscriptions, no memberships, just a friendly yellow truck that's been delivering food for almost 70 years. Listeners of this show get a special deal. Get 20% off your first order with code YUM20. Check out schwans.com backslash yum for details. The NBA is back. Where else can a city this loud be this left on? And 30 feet is still in range. Where else is history still in the make? The NBA only here. Season begins December 22nd on ABC, ESPN, TNT, and NBA TV. Nobody builds 5G like Verizon builds 5G. Because we're the engineers who built the most reliable network in America. And the more you do with 5G, the more building it right matters. The more your network matters. The more Verizon engineers going the extra mile matters. It's us pushing us. It's Verizon versus Verizon. 5G built right from America's most reliable network. Most reliable based on rankings from RootMetric's second half 2020 U.S. report of three mobile networks. Results may vary. Award is not an endorsement.